This is Limit Up, the place where we explore markets, strategies, and trading psychology to take your trading to the next level. Hello, traders, and welcome to the Limit Up podcast presented by Top Step Trader. I'm Jack, the human exposition machine, Pelzer, and boy, do we have a great show for you all. In the studio with Jeff today, we have Sean Brown. Sean is the president and CEO of YCharts, which is a powerful cloud-based market research and data analysis tool primarily used for stocks and ETFs. And wowzers, if you ever needed a tool to analyze stocks, now would be the time to use it. I'm not much of a technical analyst, but I can tell you that stocks are firmly residing in the top part of that squiggly graph. But who knows where things are headed? Between the trade wars and the Brexit and the slowing economy and those damn drones flying into oil tanks? Stuff's getting real out there, friends. And I'm sure that Sean and Jeff will have a few thoughts on that. But before we get to the interview... Let's get a check on the markets from a man who was once voted most likely to be a drone hobbyist in his free time, Mark Meadows, with this week's Market Reaction. Many of us trade asset classes. We either trade equities and we'll put on positions in NASDAQ, S&P, Dow, and Russell Futures, or we'll trade currencies and put on euro, pound, Japanese yen contracts. The opposite would be if you traded a single product, like crude oil, exclusively. While many people find it easy to get into the rhythm by trading one product, I love trading an asset class for one reason. It allows me to buy strength and sell weakness. As someone who is an admitted contrarian, I love selling big 2% up days, and I love buying 2% down days, hoping for that quick snapback rally and reversion to the mean. It's much harder for me to pull the trigger buying a fresh daily high or selling a fresh daily low. And while this style of trading is more risky, it fits my personality, which means that I'm more likely to stick to strategies that I've identified. But one rule that I have, which you should also employ, whether you are a contrarian or a trend trader, is to buy strength and sell weakness. Let me explain. If the Dow is up 1% and the S&P 500 is up 1.5%, then the S&P is strong and the Dow is weak. A lot of novice traders looking for the price to fall may see the S&P as overvalued relative to the Dow, so they'd sell that, expecting it to only be up 1% on the day. If they were bullish, they might do the opposite, buying the Dow, expecting it to catch up to the S&P. While this may be a reasonable strategy if you're looking at markets from a year-long perspective, on an intraday basis, this is exactly the opposite of the way that professional traders look at things. In this case, if you're bullish, you should buy the S&P. And if you're bearish, you should sell the Dow. Why? Because if you're correct in your trading view or assumption, you're increasing your probability of success. Don't fight the market. Go with it. And that's your market reaction. Thank you, Mark. Data. It's the future. At least that's what my uncle keeps telling me. Our guest today is trying to make data more intuitive. He does this by running YCharts, a cloud-based investment research platform designed to help investors make smarter decisions. Ladies and gentlemen, we have data, we have the cloud, we have financial products. What more could you ask for? So please sit back and prepare yourself appropriately for today's limit-up interview between our very own Jeff Carter and the CEO of YCharts, Sean Brown. 
Good afternoon, everybody. My name is Jeff Carter. Uh, you can find me online at Points and Figures, and I blog at pointsandfigures.com every day. Today, we are very lucky to have a startup entrepreneur in the room, Sean Brown from whycharts.com. Welcome to the program, Sean. Hey, Jeff. Thank you for having me. So you guys are based in Chicago, and full disclosure for everybody, I was a seed investor in Ycharts and still have an investment in Ycharts. So we'll just put all the biases out on the table. That just says you're a really, really smart guy. <laughs> but there's a reason I did it. Um, so I started this group in Chicago called Hyde Park Angels. You can find them online at HydeParkAngels.com. And Ycharts was one of the group's first investments. And I think to date, it's the only fintech investment that the group has made. I think you're right. And what was interesting about it when we looked at it is the people that had traded, like me, got it instantaneously because of the charting and all this stuff. And we'll talk about that. But the engineers in the group said, no, it's because of the way YCharts' backend architect works with Google and search and things like that. So it naturally bubbles up to the surface. That was back in 2008 or nine. So plenty of new things have happened at YCharts since then. But that's how I got into the investment. So why don't you talk about kind of what is YCharts and what it does today? You bet. We are a cloud-based investment research and communications platform. So if you think about us, um, uh, you look at the Bloomberg terminal at right. one end of the spectrum, and right. it's $20,000 per seat per year per person uh, built in the late 90s. And if anybody out there has ever used a Bloomberg terminal, you have to use Egyptian hieroglyphics to get anything out of it. <laughs> you mean, know, it's its own language. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's a slight step evolved from uh, mainframe command line prompts. But, right. You know, it, it was built on the best, best technologies of the late 1990s. Yes. Um, very expensive. And right. you look at the other end of the spectrum, it's Yahoo Finance, Google Finance. Right. Free, fun to use, um, but not very deep. We are uh, smack dab in the middle. Um, we, we think we have all of the ease of use, natural search, all of those things, a ton of great market data right. um, at 20% of the price of right. a Bloomberg terminal. Right. And the other interesting thing, I don't know about the other ones so much, but you can export stuff to Excel um, out of Y charts as well and then manipulate it within the Excel program too, right? Yeah, we have the ability um, through a, an easy-to-use uh, Excel add-in to import market data into yeah. your inevitable spreadsheets. Helps right. you do the things that we have not yet built out into our software platform. So the cool thing for mm -hmm. us is Excel is a mini R&D lab for us yeah. where our clients or our employees are able to create some new magical things in a common platform. And if we see a lot of customer uptake, then we build it into our software Oh, platform. that's neat. And you have a freemium model, but then, you know, what's the pay-for models? What is that? What's the differences? So uh, for our institutional traders or, or investors, it's uh, $2,400 or $4,800 a year. Mm -hmm. And again, we've got about half of our 4,000 customers are retail investors. Right. And half are institutional. Right. And there's a whole lot of capabilities for wealth advisors and asset managers, right. which would suggest the, the premium version of the right. software. Right, right. Uh, yeah, a lot of RIAs I know use it. I have another company I'm invested in, and they just received what's called a Wealthy Award. And YCharts is always nominated yeah. for these Wealthy Awards, yeah. too, out of New York. So very interesting stuff that goes on in the space. What I've noticed about YCharts, like for a trader, is if you're going to sort of day trade, like if I'm going to trade S&P futures or if I'm going to trade um, like 
spy. Mm-hmm. White charts is probably not a good tool because it's, uh, you know, not a five-minute chart, not a one-minute chart. Mm-hmm. But when I've done options trades, it's interesting because I can sort of look at which strike prices to use using mm-hmm. white charts and, like, articulate a trade based on time horizons. So, yeah. you know, it's it's good for that. Yeah. For if you're, like, a day trader kind of yeah. thing. Yeah. You know, um, so I liken it. I mean, yeah. I, I like everybody else have a have a portfolio, and and I um I'm very much of a buy and hold fundamental yeah. myself, right. And, right. and our platform reflects that in a lot. It's great fundamental data right. that you can dig into, you can screen, you can understand all the dynamics. Right. Um, we do have technical charting components, right. but right. that's not our strike zone. And no. so the real time market data where you're gonna trade. You know, we're more you're going to make a trade that you've thought of for a while. Right. And then you're going to use the technicals to help you find the, the right entry point. Right. But, yeah, it's not a I want, I, I want to get in and out yeah. uh, quickly in the next 15 minutes. Right, right. It's not a scalper's tool. When YChar started, there was already plenty of competition there mm-hmm. that were servicing companies. Yeah. So it didn't make sense. Outside of Bloomberg, there weren't a lot of great analytical tools for people. Yeah. But yeah, like you say, well, Yahoo Finance, there wasn't even Google Finance, I don't think, when he started. Yahoo Finance wasn't that great. Right. I mean, it was all junky. And then, you know, there was chat rooms yeah. and stuff, which you guys don't have. Right. Um, which is probably a good thing at this yeah, point. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. You can go to Stock Twits for that or you something. You can. So what's the most challenging thing about operating YCharts today relative to sort of fintech and the financial services industry? It, it's not a challenge. It's, yeah. it's it's the thing that we differentiate ourselves right. on is right. – um, we're a quirky company in that we've got this amazing cloud-based platform, yeah. but most of the cloud-based apps or services I personally use, it's impossible to talk to a human being. Right. You cannot find a human being. You can't find a phone number. You you can barely find a chat right. service. Right. We actually know with our customers, even if they're retail investors, sometimes they need to talk to a human being yes. to figure things out. Right. To Think about a theory and then how to do a screen mm-hmm. based on that theory or how to create a chart that helps them uh, validate that yeah. hypothesis. We love to get on the phone with our customers. So I, I think the answer to your question is our, our challenge is how do we continue to be unbelievably high tech yeah. while also being high touch right, right. to the degree our customers need it? Because honestly, we're never heading in the direction that – you just use our platform. You never right. know a human being. You never know an account manager. Right. That's just not us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's not the culture. Mm-hmm. What's interesting, too, is like the way you can layer data in your platform, mm-hmm. that's unique for cloud-based platforms. Even like other platforms that I could think of that are out there, like TradingView, for mm-hmm. example. Mm-hmm. I mentored them and talked to you guys about if there was a conflict. And it's really two separate markets. Yeah. Maybe could you differentiate like what the differences in are in the different markets? Yeah. So uh, specific to yeah. Y charts versus a company like TradingView. Yeah. TradingView is very much a retail technical analysis based platform. Right. That is is for traders and mails. You know, cryptocurrencies and and equities. Yeah. Y charts is is different in that our retail investors tend to be from a fundamental mindset. Mm-hmm. But we have a heavy, heavy institutional focus, mm-hmm. and our institutional focus is about investing rather than trading. Right. So actually, we're a very complementary yeah. type of fit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
It's interesting. I have a, a bunch of wealth managers I know use Y charts exclusively mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. It better explains to their clients. Yeah, that's, you know what I mean. Well, that's that's the great thing that we've evolved into, right? Yeah. Uh, Investment research is yeah. an incredibly valuable tool. Right. But what we saw with a lot of our institutional clients is they want a communication platform. Yeah. They want a platform, whether they're an asset manager or they're a wealth advisor, they want a platform that helps them derive insights, mm-hmm. uh, communicate them out. Yeah. Uh, what, what formats do they communicate them out? Well, maybe it's a tweet one day because they're trying to get them their name out there as a, as a thought leader. Right. Maybe it's in a quarterly market perspectives piece. Right. Maybe it's in an instantaneous piece to say, hey – uh, I know my client's going to ask about what, what the implications of the inversion of the 10-2 spread are. Yeah. So we've been helping our clients see how to use the visuals. And we've got this word charts in our yeah, name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're really damn good yeah. at visuals. No, they are good. How to, how to use those to blog, to tweet, right, right. Uh, in your, your quarterly newsletters or in your ad hoc client meetings. Right, because you can embed the stuff. Um, and I've done that on my blog from time to time. I just did a blog on... IPOs and unicorns and mm-hmm. all this stuff, mm-hmm. and then took the biggest IPOs from this year, like Beyond Meat and Uber and yeah, stuff, yeah, yeah. and just yeah. kind of did it on a on a relative basis, not a price basis, so on a percentage basis yeah. where they were, and it's illuminating. Oh, yeah. You, you know? And that's what I, I personally enjoy so much. Um, I, I love being part of the organization I lead, yeah. but I, I get so much joy out of using our platform yeah. after hours. Right. You know, small example is- I want to look at all these IPOs and right. say, what, what is the trend line here when you look at all these IPOs where there is no clear path to profitability? Right. What's that say about them? I want to know what happens to every time our president tweets about tariffs. Yeah, right. What happens to the stock price? And is that an opportunity to jump in? What happens when there's a corporate trauma like the Boeing defective plane and sure. navigation system? What tends to happen in corporate traumas? Is that a short-term right. and long-term opportunity to buy? Right. So the fun thing I get to do at night when I put my kids to sleep is yeah. I'm playing with our platform to say, how can I draw macro-level insights that help me and our customers become better investors? Yeah, that's an interesting thing because that takes the fear out of trading so much or investing yep. um, when you understand it, right? Yep. And so you can look at the data and understand it. The other thing that I think so many of these different platforms or newsletters or whatever is they get so wrapped up into the jargon mm-hmm. and trying to sound smart yeah. or over featuring things yeah. that it bungles up the product yeah where with white charts pretty simple to use yeah. i mean you type in a stock and there's the chart and then you look yeah. at the different things and then if i want to add on stuff i put it here if i want to add an economic indicator and see if how you know gdp growth compared to the stock growth i yeah. can do that yeah, we, we, we just – our big philosophy is KISS, you know, yeah. keep it simple, stupid. Right. And, and we think our customers are too busy to spend a lot of time really uh, figuring everything out themselves, and we better make it unbelievably intuitive. So if it's not completely intuitive to screen 20,000 securities down to the 10 that mm-hmm. meet your specific criteria, right. we've made our application too hard to use. Right. And, and I liken it, you know, with the Apple products. Like you remember the day when you bought a phone and you got a 20-page instruction sheet. Right, right. And then Apple comes out with this thing that you pull it out of the box, plug it in, and you just know how to use it. And and that's what we've tried to do with our platform is make it intuitive so that people can focus their time not on learning the application but on 
investing. So if I wanted to get a job at White Charts, what are, do you have open positions right now? Yeah, we're growing like crazy. We're, we're, <laughs> we're, 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 we're growing. That's good to hear. We're, we're, we, we, are, we, are, we are growing like crazy. I, I don't think we've earned the right to somebody of your talents yet, Jeff. Yeah, 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 you have. No, nor can we probably afford you. <laughs> yeah, but... you could afford me. You just uh, wouldn't know where to plug me. I could yeah. be a coffee cup washer there, probably. <laughs> we, we're, we're growing our, our engineering team, growing good. tremendously. Yeah. Uh, really every functional area, um, you know, except maybe some of our overhead functions like me, I think right. we're staffed there. Right. How, how long have you been CEO? Cause you didn't uh, start the company. Three and a half years. I was previously with a, um, uh, low latency trading network company called, uh, Seventix. Oh, wow. And yeah. so what, so you kind of had to be sold on the company yourself. Yeah. To come work there. Yeah. Well, it's a, it's a funny story because I had, uh, uh, just been part of a sale of mm-hmm. Seven Ticks was a part of a company called Interactive Data. Oh yeah, that was acquired by ICE, right? Uh, owners in New York Stock Exchange. Right, right. We were acquired by, for a little over five billion dollars. Nice. And uh, I had promised my wife we were going to take a bunch of time. I was going to take a bunch of time off. Yeah. And we were going to do some things that we had set aside yeah. for when the time came. And literally two weeks later, I ran into Y Charts. Wow. And I just said, "How were you exposed to it? Who exposed you to a it? A friend of a friend." They had a search looking for uh, mm-hmm. looking for somebody to take them to the next level. Yeah, and I, I talked to my wife, and she said, "Now's not the right time." And, <laughs> and, and, and I said, "Timing do- isn't always right." Yeah, um, wh- where are you going to find a place with really smart employees, a great product, mm-hmm. and fervently devoted customers? Right, and a playbook that I know well. Yeah, and right. So I, that's why I came aboard three and a half years ago. Interesting, and I think that's a, a the broad a broader point sometimes. Um, is people want to work for, they have this dream of, oh, I'm in this corporate cubicle. Mm-hmm. I want to go work for a startup. And then what, what we always, as investors, tell people, you know, there's people that start companies. There's people that scale companies. Yeah. And then there's people that finish companies, and they're not always the same person. And um, you have to know that about yourself. Yeah. And, um, I mean, coming from where you did, you probably wouldn't have been or wanted to be the person, you know, two people in a box, yeah. you know, grinding it out. But when you joined, yeah. it really needs a, needed somebody like you yeah. to to take it to the next level. Well, it's interesting. In, in, in my career, I've literally been uh, the first five employees of startups. Uh-huh. I've worked for private equity-backed oh, wow. companies. Yeah. I've worked for public companies. Okay. And, and I've worked, come in and take it to the next stage. Yeah. If I were to label myself now... I really like the come in after the idea has been yeah. validated yeah. and take it uh, and just turbocharge the hell out of it. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's fine. Uh, you know, market validation takes some time, yeah. right? And uh, and so th- this is the the life cycle part that I really enjoy. So we had Michael Patak on the podcast who started Top Step Trader. And one of the things, you know, that interests me always about CEOs is – what they do to develop the culture inside their company. Because every company is unique. And I'm curious, what have you done since you took over the job to like develop the culture that you wanted to have? Yeah. So you attract the employees that you want yeah. and retain the employees you want. Yeah. Well, I, I think um, first thing I tell you, just a visual image of Y charts. Yeah. It's a wide open floor plan. Uh-huh. We have what looks like offices. Uh, nobody uses offices. We, we all, we all sit together. So yeah. num- number one thing I'd say is I happen to be the head coach, yeah. but I'm no more important or, or than anybody else. Mm-hmm. I sit right out there yeah. uh, with everyone. 
that allows me to feel the flow of our business. Right. I don't have to wait to an end of day, end of week report. Right. I know what's going on in sales. Right. I know what's going on in customer support right. because I'm hearing it five feet away from me. Right. So that's number one. Interesting. Number two is a lot of CEOs would not do that because they don't want the distraction. Yeah. You know, I, I love the distraction. Yeah. And, and, and you're right. The, the word distraction is a fair one. Mm-hmm. Nothing replaces flow, though. Yeah, and really having your finger on the pulse of your business, yeah, on a minute by minute basis. Mm-hmm. Um, the other big thing is, I believe every single employee should know the intimate details of your business, mm-hmm. and so we do a lot of what some might say oversharing. Yeah, you know, our our lowest level entry employee knows our monthly recurring revenue goals for the month. Yeah, they know the top accounts in our pipeline. Right, they know where we're having customer support success and failures. They know our product roadmap. Interesting. So we spend a lot of time on that, and we spend a lot of time profiling each employee so that every employee feels connected. Yeah. And, and those are the big things we do to just make it a, a fun culture to work a long work weekend Interesting. and have fun. Um, Brad Feld, of course, runs Foundry Group in um, Boulder, Colorado, and uh, blogs a lot and, of course, started Techstars. And one of his posts years and years ago was about cleaning up your board deck and sharing it with your employees. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like you you do that like uh, daily. Oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. And, <laughs> but and, he he said he advocated quarterly. You know. Yeah. Um, and so. and we every Friday we have an all company video conference. Yeah. And we were we go over all our KPIs. Mm-hmm. We go over our strategy, and we talk uh, very quickly about what went well, and then we spend some yeah. time talking about what didn't go well. So that helps with alignment. Yeah. That helps with alignment, which in a fintech world really is important. I just got away from a conference that was here in Chicago um, talking about like fintech and stuff. And the things that I accentuated as an early stage investor were focus on your target market Mm -hmm. and really clearly define that target market because you have to dominate there Mm -hmm. to be able to scale. Yeah. So that's just an interesting thing in fintech. and, And you mentioned a really important word, which is focus. Yeah. If you're going to have unbelievable product market fit, you better be able to describe your customer. You better be able to describe what they're doing, what they had for breakfast, what they're doing between the hours of 10 and 11, what they're worried about, um, what they do with their weekends. Because if you know them that intimately because you're focused on them as opposed to trying to be all things to all investors or traders, I just think you get really good at something, then you take on more complexity but it's it's nearly impossible as a small company to say you're going to be everything to everybody. So yeah. when you mention, you know, technical trading, yeah. futures, right. uh, retail investors, uh, institutional, you know what? You can't be everything to everybody. Yeah. But you can get there eventually. But I would say this if like as a futures trader, if you're trading e-minis, definitely data affects them, which mm-hmm. you guys have. Definitely the spy is correlated, you know, mm-hmm. and so you can sort of dig through stuff mm-hmm. so that maybe you can anticipate things. And so then when they happen, you're ready to pounce. And instead of having fear, you see it as an opportunity. And I used to do that all the time. Look, with whatever I traded, mm-hmm. like when I traded interest rate futures, I'd, I'd look at the cash markets and see where everything was at. Yeah. And see if things were out of balance there and how mm-hmm. are they out of balance in the futures and then mm-hmm. – when something happens, you go, oh, yeah, for sure, I know. And yeah. it allows you to either put on a spread or take off a position yeah. um, opportunistically, which yeah. gives you a huge leg up in the marketplace. Yep. You know, I, I, I believe and I will continue to believe that the moment you press buy 
is fundamentally a moment of deep insecurity. Yeah, can be. You have you have some questions in your head to say, am I right? Yeah. Am I going to be right here? Right. And so, you know, my big thing is if we can provide you those two or three extra layers of confidence yeah. that when you go to press buy or right. trade, you feel the confidence you want to have pressing that button and not checking every 10 minutes or every 10 days to see whether you made the right decision. You know you've done your homework, and uh, that pays off. Yeah. So, where did you grow up in Chicago? Are you a native Chicagoan? I moved to the Chicago area in my senior high school. Lived all over the place. Really? Yeah. Oh wow. Uh, where'd you go to high school here? Uh, Lake Forest High School for one year. Oh wow. Yeah. The Tony Lake Forest. High no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was funny because I, I I moved there from the wrong side of the tracks in Connecticut, and, oh. I, and I, I moved to Lake Forest and, uh, and was driving a Camaro at the time. Oh yeah. And, and for those That's younger right. audience members, they won't even know what a Camaro a is. Probably the Camaro. They they just reissued yeah. the Camaro. And, I, and I, I, remember, <laughs> I, I remember pulling in and and uh, with my cut off sleeveless shirt yeah, yeah, on yeah. for the first day of school, and quickly realizing I needed to probably step up yeah, my yeah. game a little bit. Yeah, get the preppy handbook. Yeah, yeah. You know how to dress. <laughs> <laughs> buy, buy, buy the polo shirt. Yeah, and, yeah. And change my name to Biff. Where did you go to college then? I went to Notre Dame. Oh, you did. I did. Oh, I didn't know you were a Domer. I'm a huge Domer football fan, oh, and then I yeah. went to grad school at Stanford. Oh wow, I didn't know that. Yeah, I have a lot of friends went to Notre Dame. My friend played football there in '77 and started at wingback. Wow! And they won the national championship. Oh no, kidding! Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, wow. So he was on that. team. That was the era Parsegian days, I think. Or was uh, it Dan Divine. Dan, Dan Divine. Divine. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. She wow. was my age. He was ahead of me in high school. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Tom Doman, good yeah. guy. Good guy. And then, what was your first job out of grad school? Okay, so my first job out undergrad is yeah. I, I didn't even know how to use a computer, so I yeah. decided to become a, a engineer. Oh, I wow. just figured I, I like to throw myself in over my head. Right. I became an engineer, uh, realized that wasn't my long-term thing, went to grad school, and then I became a strategy consultant right oh, out of college. okay. And then uh, my, my funny story, and it's why I know I'll be married to my wife forever. Mm-hmm. It was my girlfriend at the time. We were living in San Francisco, paying off the massive student debt I had yeah. from uh, Stanford. Right. And uh, I got a call from some guys in Chicago who had a uh, software startup called Tolution, and they said, would you come be our- What year was this? This was 99. They said, uh, we've, we're engineers. Mm-hmm. We need somebody to run the business. Uh, you have an MBA. Can you help us? And I said, well, listen, I, I've never run a business, but I'd love to try. What are you paying? Mm-hmm. And they said, uh, we don't really have a budget. <laughs> <laughs> a million a year then. Well, they had no money. Right. And so right, I, right. I, they, I, uh, I said to my wife, well, I've got this opportunity to go work for a company where they can't pay me do you think this makes sense? And yeah. she said, no, it makes no sense. Yeah. But are you excited about it? And I said, I am. And my, yeah. I'll pay off my student debts through time and, and came out and it worked out real well. Wow. Yeah. That's a ballsy move. I mean, it is. I had a similar thing. I met my wife. I was working for 3M and I went down to the floor to make 150 bucks a week. And her dad just, <laughs> <laughs> we were engaged, yeah. you know, and it's like, what? Yeah. I mean, it worked out. But why FinTech? Because if you're an engineer with a yeah. Stanford MBA, yeah. that's a pretty general thing. You could do health tech. You could yeah. do, you could pretty much do whatever you wanted. Two great schools with yeah. a pretty like. What I love about engineering, I am not an engineer, although yeah. uh, I roomed with all engineers at Illinois my last two years. They know how to solve problems yeah. and they can break it down yeah. and they're very analytical. And then just MBAs, MBA Stanford obviously is one of the top schools in the world. Yeah. 
So for, it's no University you, of Chicago booth. No, it, it's, <laughs> yeah, it, 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 can't, it can't compare to Chicago. You're right. You're right. You know, I, I, I've got I've got two finance degrees. Yeah, and I've always had a, a real uh, real interest in economics. Yeah, um, and I also see the the uh, financial services space as way behind other industries yeah. and their technology application. Right. So when you see an industry where you can see how creativity with technology can make a real difference, yep. that's exciting for me. Yeah, for me, it's it's all about like the fact that with finance, financial technology and stuff, you can bring transparency to dark markets mm-hmm. and that brings capital efficiency. Mm-hmm. And that in turn drops the price of everything mm-hmm. so that more people can afford it. And it raises standards of living like we've never seen. Yeah. Um, much more so than like Snapchat. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, you know, and, and, or, and what I, what, what like I love so much about yeah. it, whether you're, you're of an investing mindset or a trading yeah. mindset, yeah. at the end of the day, you're doing it because you have some wants and needs. Right. Either you're thinking about your retirement or you're thinking about that vacation you want to take soon. I love if we can bring transparency and great research mm-hmm. to the space. We can help people achieve whatever objective they had yeah, yeah. for sitting down and and making an investment or making a trade. Right, and I think it's it's it goes across all income classes. So if you're trading and you're making a thousand, two thousand, three thousand dollars a day, your that mentality is the same as you're making fifty dollars a day. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's just you're making fifty because you're just starting out, and that's all the capital mm-hmm. you have to trade with, and yep. that's all the risk you can take. But that's okay. Yeah, the principle's the same no matter yeah. how big or small you are. Yeah, so and, that, and maybe if really if you cool. if you build the confidence and the nest egg from the smaller trades, maybe you yeah. end up making the thousand, two thousand dollars, and maybe that's putting you where you want to be in life. Maybe which, which makes me excited. Yeah, it does. It's it's very exciting. So what's next on the roadmap for wide charts that you can talk about without divulging any? Interior close strategies. Yeah, heavy, <laughs> heavy, heavy emphasis on a couple things. One is um, in the world of financial advisors. Yeah, the world has moved from stocks to mutual funds right. to ETFs, and now to model portfolios. Right, a, a way to get a great structuring of your investment portfolio mm-hmm. through professional models. So a lot of time we're spending on model portfolios. Yeah. Number two is a ton of time spent on helping people communicate their insights. Mm-hmm. Uh, integrations to stock twits, integrations to Twitter, mm-hmm. uh, helping our customers understand how to embed things in blog posts, mm-hmm. reports and stuff, just helping people do something with yeah. the visuals that they have. And then uh, just the asset management space. So one of the things we're doing now is companies like John Hancock, their Salesforce is using our software right. to help them pitch their funds. Right. So asset management space, broker dealer space, and um, you know, focus, then layer on complexity, mm-hmm. and we're layering on a lot of complexity mm-hmm. right now. It's interesting when I look at like sort of the fintech space today and try to extrapolate ten years into the future, which you know I could be as wrong as anybody. Alternative assets all of a sudden are getting a lot of attention today. Mm-hmm. So you've had like Carter raised a bunch of money on the premise that they can create an exchange to trade private company equity or, you know, cryptocurrency is one thing, but it's sort of interesting. And then you see this movement of sort of wealth management, which was always kind of a big bank thing Mm -hmm. and it's going independent and you see RIAs just exploding and consolidating and stuff, Mm -hmm. but sort of that independent 
financial management mm-hmm. is is kind of the thing now. What happens if, I mean, how how would Y charts like five years from now when there's enough data perceive like alternative assets? Do you have any thoughts well, about that? Well, the good thing is we've got a platform that we can easily layer in new asset classes. Yeah. The thing we'd be looking for in that asset class, mm-hmm. whether it's crypto or alternatives, yeah. is some common denominator fundamentals right. that we can help people compare apples to apples. I think the problem with alternative asset classes and mm-hmm. to a certain degree crypto mm-hmm. is sentiment is the fundamental right. uh, metric. Right. As opposed to, you know, the last several years of earnings or EPS growth or things that are more easily uh, used in comparative analysis. Right. Yeah. I mean, that is true because private markets are super lumpy. They're Mm -hmm. not efficient. Mm -hmm. Even when you see a venture capital transaction, so-and-so raised money at $100 million. That doesn't mean the company is really worth $100 million. I mean, we're seeing that with the WeWork IPO right now. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> and it is funny because you do have to have sort of that common denominator of data yeah. if you're going to do anything with it constructively. Yeah. I represented the United States at the G7 in Torino, Italy a couple of years ago, and we had a long talk about the future of work and all this stuff. And this one guy was really into B corporations mm. and like social good, yeah. which is fine. Yeah. And my question is, how do I measure it? Give me a FASBA accounting standard that's GAP yep. that I can compare across 20, 30, every single company yeah. so that I can actually physically measure it. And I'm with you. And th- there is no standard like that right now. Yeah. So that, that, that's, that's ultimately our challenge. And yeah. so once, once standards emerge, yeah. that will allow us to confidently say we are allowing you to truly do an apples to apples comparison, right. we'll be embedding it. Yeah. Interesting. Well, very, very interesting. So you are based in Chicago, mm-hmm. and where are your other offices? Do you have any? New York. Uh, we've got several New remote York. employees, but New York, New York, <laughs> New York is a, New York is our, a, a big office for us as a as a financial hub. Yeah. In, in the United States. Yeah. yeah. And then, as far as technical, your technical team is here in Chicago. Yes. Uh, actually, New York. It's in New York. New York. Yeah. Oh, okay. Not San Francisco. No. 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 Why? I'm just curious. Um, uh, one of our founders uh, uh-huh. started the company. He was out of New York. Another okay. founder was out of Chicago. Yeah. That's the history. Yeah. Um, what we found from there is just incredible talent. Uh-huh. Um, and we happen to have grown an incredibly cohesive team. And that's not something you mess with regardless of what city they you know, were in Very or true. are in. Very true. It's interesting. There's another startup I know that went to San Francisco. They're in fintech. Yeah. They're based in Chicago, and they went to San Francisco to hire people for yeah. their technical team, and they yeah. were going to try to build it out there because yeah. there's a lot of engineers and stuff out there. And what they found was the people out there didn't have the same depth of knowledge mm-hmm. when it came to fintech as the people in Chicago or New York. And so they built their team. They hired all in Chicago and built their team in Chicago. Yeah, the the, the challenge I've always had in my yeah. career is out uh, in Silicon Valley, and mm-hmm. I lived in Palo Alto for a yeah. number of years. Um, the mindset is very much a very innovative, creative mindset. Yeah. But from an employee standpoint, a very mercenary mindset. It's um, oh, that's interesting. I, I, I'm coming in. Uh, yeah. How many options am I getting? And I'm probably going to give you 12 to 18 months of of working here, and then right. I'm going to move on. 
in my experience is it takes about six months to get somebody fully productive and, and awesome in their job. Yeah. So you have a very short window on somebody w- when their duration's not long. I love Chicago and I love New York and yeah. that it's especially Chicago. It's that Midwestern work ethic. Mm-hmm. It's that loyalty to the vision yeah. for the long term. Yeah. And hopefully never to their financial detriment. Right. right. Hopefully you're doing the right thing as an yeah, employer yeah, yeah, to, hopefully, yeah. to reward them. Yeah. But you're not getting outbid with somebody who's offering free. Like when I was out there, it yeah. was uh, BMW leases, free BMW leases for every engineer for two years. <laughs> oh, my God. Right? And as a startup, that's that's it's that's a, little... a huge expenditure. And it, yeah. it, it doesn't seem like it's core to what you need is to have your engineers all driving uh, a Beamers. new model. Now it's BMW. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Now it's, <laughs> now, now it's Tesla's. Exactly. Yeah, it's pretty – it's – you know, you hear – I read stuff like that in blogs or whatever, and you hear people talk about it. But it's nice to hear a CEO actually say, "Yeah, this is what really happens: is people are loyal, you know, and yeah. they and they and and um, because I I have some companies I'm invested in out in the valley that that is a a big problem mm-hmm. is like yeah. some company raises from some hot thing at this valuation and they mm-hmm. want to jump on the next rocket ship that yeah. they think is the next rocket ship, and um, sometimes rocket ships flame out. I mean, yeah. it's it's not always um. What you think it is. So. Yeah, the, the Midwest, you know, the loyalty, yeah, the career orientation, the just work their tails off yeah. because they believe in the greater mission. Right. I just, uh, you know, I'm, I'm very biased about uh, the Midwest and, and I, I love what the talent you can see. Yeah, here. and there's a lot of, I think, in what I see in startups in um, Chicago, at least from my experience, is there's a lot of mentorship inside the startup. Where in California, it's spread out over a network mm-hmm. more so. I agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very interesting. Although the weather's better there. It, well, that, <laughs> that is – but that's that, but it, it's also a benefit from an employee standpoint. They don't have quite as many distractions outside of work. When you live in Chicago, you've got nothing right. to do between November and April. Right. Except, you know, devote your time to work, you know, right. as opposed to California where you're off skiing and, and going surfing yeah. and hang gliding all yeah. in the same weekend. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I actually, uh, I was at a startup we're invested in the other day, and one of the engineers um, rides his bike to work religiously, even in December, January, February. And I'm like, dude, <laughs> you are, first of all, you're hardcore, you're yeah. better man than me. And second is we may have to get you an Uber pass yeah, instead no, of a BMW yeah, lease. No, no kidding. No, no <laughs> He's kidding. like, I don't want it. I don't want it. Yeah. <laughs> I said, I don't want a bus to take you out. <laughs> so anyway. Well, thank you very much for coming in and being on the Limit Up podcast. I really appreciate it, and um, good luck and good trading. Yeah, appreciate it. Come come visit us at whitecharts.com. Yeah, we will have to do that. We will have to do that. Thank you, Sean. I appreciate it. Traders, thank you for making it to the second encore of the Limit Up podcast presented by Top Step Trader. We'd like to thank the incomparable Sean Brown for stopping by. If you like what you heard, please rate and subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. If you didn't like what you heard, leave a comment on the blog. And subscribe to the podcast anyway so you can hate listen to it whenever you want. We also invite you to join the private, ultra-exclusive Top Step Trader Facebook community. And if you have any other questions, feel free to email me at jack at topsteptrader.com. That's J-A-C-K at topsteptrader.com. That's right, I'm giving out the personal work email because why not? It's almost 2020. Hope you all come back next week when a brand new guest will be in the studio. 
In the meantime, have a wonderful weekend, everybody. Namaste and trade well. This episode produced by Dante32. Futures in Forex trading contains substantial risk and is not for every investor. An investor could potentially lose all or more than their initial investment. Risk capital is money that can be lost without jeopardizing one's financial security or lifestyle. Only risk capital should be used for trading, and only those with sufficient risk capital should consider trading. Past performance is not necessarily indicative of future results.